Hey guys, this is Noah Domang with the Couch and Exports Podcast, and I just wanted to welcome you to our podcast. Um, if you're a new listener, I want you to just take a minute, uh, go check out the description of this episode. You can figure out what Couch and Exports is kind of all about. Uh, we're a multimedia sports platform, meaning we do podcasts, Twitch, YouTube, blogs, the whole the whole nine, right? We do the whole ordeal. Um, if you want to take a minute and check that out, we're also on pretty much every social media. Uh, we're on Twitch, Instagram. Facebook, TikTok, yeah, we're even on TikTok. Um, but if you just want to go check that out before we get into the episode, you can find more of our content. Uh, it's a lot of fun. We try to have fun over here. We try to build a little bit of a community. So if you want to check that out, you're always welcome to. Uh, don't be afraid to come interact with us on different medias. Uh, I would say Twitter would probably be your best avenue to have legit like sports talks and stuff. Uh, I'd love to do that if you ever – Disagree with something I say. Love to have a debate about it. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. If you're a returning listener, thank you. You guys are the best. You are the backbone of this podcast. You are what's paying the bills right now. So thank you guys for tuning in again. And now I just want to, yeah, we can just kind of get into the next episode. So see you guys there. What's up? Welcome back to the Couch Fanatic Sports Podcast, episode 10. I'm your host, Noah Domang. And today's Kind of a loaded episode, really. I say that every week. It's kind of what happens when you have a sports podcast. It's only once a week, but it's neither here nor there. Um, before we get in, 10 episodes, double-digit episodes already. Man, time is flying. I feel like I just started Couch Fanatic Sports, um, which, I mean, I really did. It was probably October-ish of 2020, and, yeah, we are kind of just flying through this thing. The podcast took a little bit longer to come out and to really get going, really get established, but we're rolling at this point. Um, I'm pretty excited about this episode. As you know, we just had Championship Sunday. As you, If you listened to the last podcast, you saw that I went 0-2 on my picks on Sunday, so not great. But I did have the first touchdown prop in the AFC Championship game. That was plus 2,300. So, yeah, go Noah. Noah, you're great. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, we got stuff to talk about. A lot of stuff in the baseball realm. Uh, including a Hall of Fame rant that's coming for me. It's been building for a while now. Um, and then you have big-time signings like Marcus Simeon, JT Realmuto, and yeah, it's kind of just a good episode. Uh, if you're listening to this, you know that on Tuesday, it was the one-year anniversary of Kobe Bryant's passing and the tragic helicopter crash. Um, so we're probably going to touch a little on that. And how, how everyone kind of reacted, so to speak. Um, and then there's a couple of Steph Curry stuff I want to talk about because some reports came out about that, and I just it was making me die laughing, like reading some of the stuff because it's just so perfectly Steph. So let's just get right into it. Um, we're gonna start off with the NFL first because I'm, as you know, if you're a returning listener, I re- kind of record this in parts when I have time, so. Right now, it is Wednesday morning before class, so I'm going to be recording the NFL part first, and I'll record like the other stuff tonight because like there's no NFL playoff news that can happen um, Like while I'm – there's not going to be any playoff news that happens you know, after I record between now and later. So like this is just kind of it, right? There's no other 
like the games already happen. There's nothing else that you can like come out. But like, you know, if I do the Hall of Fame stuff and then do all the baseball talk and like talk about the signings and stuff, uh, Trevor Bauer should sign like right after I finish because that's pretty much it's pretty much how my luck kind of goes with those kind of things. Um, so yeah, we can just uh, we just dig right in. Let's start with the NFC Championship game first. We can go chronologically. Uh, Tom Brady is just the man. He's the GOAT. Now, they didn't win that game because of Tom Brady, but he's the GOAT. He is making his 10th Super Bowl when he is only – it's basically his 19th season. His first year, he didn't start. Then he had the year when he got hurt in the first game of the season. And, yeah, he has basically made the Super Bowl – over half of the full seasons that he's played. If you listen to last week, you remember the stat that I had that said Tom Brady makes the conference championship at a higher rate than LeBron James converts free throws. You may also remember that I said Tom Brady makes the Super Bowl at a higher rate than Steph Curry makes three-pointers. That is just bananas. It is just bananas. I, like... We'll never see this level of dominance from a football player again, I don't think. And, like, the only reason why I feel confident saying that is because we never saw it before. We, um, yeah, it's a 21-year career. Played one game his first year and then one game his, in 2008, whenever he, um, whenever he tore his ACL, I believe. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. He only had, like, 11 attempts the entire season. Um, but... Yeah, we kind of all like joke about like him being a system quarterback or Belichick making him and all the yada, 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 yada. But at the end of the day, that guy just wins. That guy just finds ways to win football games. I mean, you don't you don't win the amount of playoff games that, that guy's won. You don't win six Super Bowls. You don't make ten Super Bowls by just kind of lucking into it or having a good defense, right? Um, which, I mean, it's true. He had a good defense on all these Super Bowl teams, but – if you're gonna win a championship, you have to have a good team. <laughs> Seems kind of silly to fault him for that. That's like the same people who uh, take away from like Steph Curry's uh, finals wins, but the Warriors saying, "Oh, he was on a stacked team." Well, yeah, this team was stacked because of him. You take off Curry from that team, they probably don't win the finals. You take off Tom Brady from those teams, they probably don't win those Super Bowls. So it's kind of a give and take. Um, I, dude, the stats that come out of this are just so stupid. Uh, Tom Brady's tied third all-time for playoff wins against NFC co- opponents. Guys, he has played in the NFC for one season. He had he has nine total. Favre, I think, leads with 12. Something like that. I think Rodgers and Montana are tied at 10. And then Breeze is at 9. Guys, he had six against NFC opponents from the Super Bowl and then three this season his first year. That is just nuts. It's just so silly. He has 32 career playoff wins. The next closest is 16. 16. 16. Half. Half. Dude, he has won 14 playoff games since turning 35. That would rank second all time. He's basically had two Hall of Fame careers, uh, one before he turned 35, and then from 35 on. 
And like I know I'm just harping and harping, but like I've never been a big Tom Brady guy. Uh, just kind of being a Drew Brees guy, so it was kind of hard. But like it's just so hard to deny his greatness still. Um, regardless of how you feel about him as a person or as a player, I know a lot of people take away from him because of that. He is just a great player. Um, now, I don't know. I kind of had this debate with a couple people. I don't know if I would rank him as one of the greatest athletes of all time. Um, I think it depends on what you mean in the sense of the word athlete. If it's in the sense of competing at your sport, then sure. Obviously, he's one of the greatest football players of all time in the sense of, you know, he's going to be he's the best quarterback of all time. Um, but if you look from a pure athletic standpoint, nothing really wows you. I don't think Brady's ever been the best in the league at one particular skill set. I don't think he ever had the strongest arm or the most accurate arm or the best scramble ability or the best throwing under pressure. Like, I don't think he was ever the best at one specific thing, but he was just really, really good at everything. Like, there was really, there's really no weaknesses in Tom's game. And that's saying a lot. Um, I think it's just like we're talking about the same guy who's drafted in the sixth round out of Michigan who his shirtless combine photos, kids, some of you may have never seen this. If you've never seen this, please look it up. It is hilarious to say like one day, like if the aliens come, they're going to be like, and who is your greatest? And we're like, oh, well, look at the goat over here, Tom Brady. And they're just going to like laugh. They're like, ha, 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 this guy? <laughs> that's pretty much that, – that, yeah, that's how my brain works. A peek into my brain. Um, but he is – he's not going to wow you physically. He's not the biggest guy on the field. He's not the fastest guy. He's not the most athletic guy. But he just does everything right. Um, and then when it comes down to like the greatest winners of all time, I think it's kind of hard to debate this, if that makes sense. I think it's kind of hard to debate the S tier across all sports because, like, we'll never really know. Um, I would assume it would probably be Michael Phelps just because of the amount of gold medals he won and his dominance in this field. But, like, look at, like, Tiger, Tiger Woods and uh, Roger Federer and Serena Williams. And then you get into, like, soccer talk with Messi and Ronaldo and Pele and all these other guys. I'm probably missing some guys. I'm sorry, soccer fans. I Please don't come at me on Twitter. I know soccer fans can be angry. Um, and then, you know, you bring in the LeBron James and the Michael Jordan and, I mean, Will Chamberlain and Bill Russell won 10 or 11 rings. Like, he won a ton. Babe Ruth won 10 rings. Regardless of how you feel about him, we can how I feel about him later during the Hall of Fame talk. But regardless of how you feel about him, he won 10 rings. Um, it's just – it's hard to debate those people. I think it's better to kind of put all those people in the same, like, tier – they're probably all like on the S tier. Um, but yeah, but regardless, Tom Brady belongs. No matter where you rank him in that tier, he belongs there. He belongs with the names that are there. Um, but then on the flip side, I was thinking of like most athletic people in the world. Uh, obviously, you got to start with like Bo Jackson, right? Um, then you can get into guys like Odo Beckham Jr., who's ridiculously fast, very athletic, he's quick. People think he could have went pro in baseball. People think he could have been like legit, like Euro leagues in soccer. Um, and then he can dunk on like a 12 foot hoop. Then you got someone like Mookie Betts, who's 
the second best player in baseball. He's the best mortal player in baseball. Um, and then he's bowling 300s in professional bowling events. Events, And then he's going, he's dunking, and he's doing like windmill dunks and stuff and playing basketball. And he was like a good basketball prospect coming out of high school. And then you see like the videos of him running routes on the football field. And he's like getting open against legit NFL corners because he's that athletic. Like guys like that, like it is just... And then you have LeBron James. LeBron James is a six foot eight, two hundred and sixty pound man that looks like he was crafted by like the Greeks for what the perfect body would be for like a frontline warrior. Like they have the David, which is just like kind of like this like skinny like tone guy, uh, and then they have LeBron, and it's just like the frontline gladiator. <laughs> like that's what he is. Oh, and then he's also the fastest guy on the court. Oh, and he can also jump up and touch the back, like the top of the backboard. It's just, it's nuts how some of these guys can do. Like, there's no way me and that person are the same breed. It's just, there's no way. I mean, even Mike Trout, I, I said Mookie Betts just because, like, there's proof of him doing other sports, but Mike Trout's built like a middle linebacker. And he's the fastest guy on the field most of the time. They, he stole 50 bases in one season, 49 bases in one season. Built like a truck. Built like he should be the starting Mike linebacker for the Rams, not playing center field for the Angels. But kind of enough about me talking about how awesome athletes are. Uh, we can kind of get into the game now. If you watch the game, ended in some controversy, we can get to that. I have a – actually, we can just talk about it. So if you watched the game, you knew uh, the refs didn't call anything all game. They just let the two teams play. Which it's a playoff game. I like that. Um, at one point, Sean Murphy bunting a few times during that game, just like he did in the NFC divisional round against the Saints, was holding the receiver out of the break. And then just like he did against the Saints, he ended up catching interception off of it. Well, it was against Alan Lazard and Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers flipping out, Ro- Lazard was flipping out, the refs didn't call it. Okay. A little bit later in the game, Bucks are still doing it, still doing it, still doing it, not really getting called. And it's hampering the Packers' ability on offense. We're, I'm going to break down the game more in depth, but I'm going to explain this. It hampers their ability on offense. Um, so then, oh my gosh, there's just so much breakdown from this game. Later in the game, uh, the Bucks are up five. It's about two, it's about a minute 48 left on the clock. The Packers still have a timeout. It's third and long. Uh, the Bucks throw kind of like a crossing route across the middle. And... The guy, let's be honest here, it was a hold. It wasn't It wasn't as egregious as the guy made it look because he flopped, like, so hard as if, like, someone, like, shot his kneecap as he was running. Um, like, that's he made it look like someone, like, there was a sniper on the roof and, like, took him right on the ACL. But they threw a flag there. And it was the right call. But I don't, I don't get how you can set the precedent all game saying, yo, do whatever you want. We're not going to call anything. We're not going to throw flags. We're going to let you play. Do what you want. As long as it's not crazy, as long as it's not egregious. And that's when he chose to throw the first flag. That's, And then the flags came in way after the play too. Like, I don't know. I, I don't like that. You can't set that 
you can't do that all game and say like, no, we're gonna let him play. We're gonna let him play. We're gonna let him play. We're not gonna throw it there. We're not gonna throw it there. Like we're gonna let him play. We're gonna let him play to playoffs. This is a chance to go to Super Bowl. Like we don't want to be the deciding factor of the game. And then what do they do? They became the deciding factor of the game because they just randomly decided to call something. Um, regardless, again, it was probably the right call. But you know what was else the right call? The interception. That by Sean Murphy bunting that set up the the Bucks with a touchdown drive because it's a short field when the Packers were driving. I mean that's a potential seven to fourteen point swing. Then, yeah, that's pretty much all I can complain about for that aspect. I'm not even gonna harp on that because Packers fans were actually a part of the group that after the no call in the 2018 NFC Championship game, they were a part of the group saying that we needed to stop whining, and we lost because of that. So, yeah, I don't really feel bad. Like, I'm serious. I hope, like, all the memes that came out whenever Murphy Butting held Lazard and caught the interception because of it, and everybody was like, uh, all the Saints fans were like, see, bet y'all wish y'all can uh, challenge pass interference calls now. I bet y'all wish y'all could do that. <laughs> um, but I do... I do find it hard to – I really find it hard to, like, feel sorry for the Packers when, number one, their red zone offense was pitiful all game. They had a chance at the end of the game uh, from, like, the eight-yard line. The first play uh, – actually, let me just pull it up so I'm not going strictly off memory. But, like, in, like, the first half, uh, Devontae Adams, Rodgers could have had a better throw to him in the end zone, but he drops it. Uh, both sides are probably like, Rogers probably like, yeah, I need to make a better throw. That's on me. Fonte Adams is probably like, yo, I need to catch that. That's on me. Then they try to force it to Adams again on an out route when it wasn't really there. And all of a sudden you got a third and long. And then on the third and long, Alan Lazard is running across the middle of the field wide open. Nobody on him. Adams is triple teams. He's throwing it to Adams. Rogers forced it to Adams to try and squeeze it to him to kind of like make up, I guess, trying to like get their touchdown back. They ended up having to go kick a field goal because of it. I mean, come on, dude. Hit Lazard right there. Take your points. Keep it rolling. Uh, there's just so many times that, like, the Packers just didn't look like they knew what to do on offense. Then at the end of the game, you roll up to the eight-yard line with two minutes left in the game. 2.22. Down eight. Got an incompletion short, incompletion short, incompletion short. Two of those to Devontae Adams trying to force it. After, for the record, they got down there. Uh, different drive. But, like, Aaron Jones had a pretty good game. Like, I feel like anytime Aaron Jones touched the ball, he did. Okay, Aaron Jones averaged four and a half yards per carry, but he only had six carries. I I, think I don't understand coaches sometimes. And he, I forgot he fumbled twice, to be honest. But, I mean, one of those was on, like, a freak, like, pass play. And I really can't remember the other one on top of my head. But, I mean, right there, like, two minutes left in the game, you would think you're kind of trying to burn a clock, too, because you're like, all right, we're going to go score a touchdown, get this two-point conversion, make sure there's no time for Brady, send this thing to overtime. Nope, incompletion, incompletion, incompletion. And then on the last incompletion, Rodgers tried to force him to triple coverage when there was a legit lane for him to just run in for the touchdown from eight yards, and he just didn't take it. Like, it would have been pretty easy score. And then if he somehow didn't score on that, 
then he still had the opportunity to, you know, get to like the one or two yard line and then you go for it because you're down eight. Uh, but instead of going for it, like they should have went for it regardless. You can't give Tom Brady the ball back with two minutes and say, hey, Tom, all you need is a first down and you won the game. Like you can't do that. But they did it to kick the field goal. Tom went out there, uh, nine yard completion in the first play. And then the Packers did a penalty on purpose to like give them a first down uh, and stop the clock. And stupid, dumb face Bruce Arians accepted it because he's dumb and he's a terrible coach. And guys, I, whew, I'm going to rant about this eventually one day, but he's just, he's a terrible coach. He commits so much to one thing. Like he'll legit go four to five drives without ever running the ball. And he calls out his players in the media and not like the good kind being like, Hey, we need to be better. It's like, no, this guy sucks. It's his fault. He's just not a good coach. And everybody, I think that's starting to come to life with Tom there. But he's just, he's never been a good coach. And honestly, as a Saints fan, kind of hope Tom Brady goes to win the Super Bowl this year and then retires. And then Bruce Arians is going to be in Tampa for the next handful of years because he won a Super Bowl. So you get into a few extra years more than you're supposed to there because of that. And we get to go against a terrible coach <laughs> for the rest of the time. But after the penalty, uh, they go four net up the middle for two yards for timeout green bay four net four yards timeout and then the interference call and if the interference call isn't called uh the packers would have been given the ball back with one timeout and uh, one minute 46 seconds left on the clock yeah yeah but then again it's very hard to say you should have won that game if this doesn't happen when Number one, your red zone offense was pitiful. Your decision-making all game was pitiful. Like, literally all game. Um, and if you didn't go for two at that one point when you really didn't have to go for two, this kind of just doesn't happen. Uh, you would have been able to score a touchdown without having to go for two because you would just kick the extra point the first time. Um, and building off of that, Tom Brady had three straight drives when he threw an interception. And the Packers punted the ball right back every single time. Oh, let's see. They went interception, Tom Brady threw an interception, and then Green Bay scored, and then interception, punt, interception, punt. Like, you got two interceptions. They go interception, touchdown. You pull within f- you pull within five, and then Brady throws another interception, and you go three and out. And then he throws another interception, and you go three and out again. How do you let that happen? you got to capitalize on that. But regardless, it's... Honestly, I have nothing else to say. Roger said after the game he's uncertain about his future. I don't necessarily think that means he's gone. Uh, I think he just means, like, I don't want to think about the future right now because I just lost, so I kind of just don't want to worry about next season yet. It's the off-season just starting, so let me get my break kind of thing. Um, but I'm probably going to do Super Bowl previews in the next episode. It's going to replace the long recaps that I have for the, these two games um, for next week. But, yeah, congrats to the Bucks, congrats to Tom. And the Packers, you can't be mad at the rush for losing the game whenever you lost that game. What lost that game was not capitalizing off turnovers. What lost that game was fumbling the ball multiple times. Like, you turned the ball over three times. And then Tom Brady also turned the ball over three times and you couldn't capitalize. You, you just can't do that. What lost that game for you was terrible, terrible play calling and execution in the red zone. What lost that game for you was running for only tw- – for 27 yards for Aaron Jones, 67 yards total. 
that's these are the things that lost the game for you. Regardless of how you feel about it, like it's the truth. The lost game for you is you only sacked Tom Brady one time. You didn't pressure him at all. Like, let's see how many times they even hit him. They hit him four times all game. That's not gonna get it done. Not against these Bucks. That's how you beat these Bucks. You gotta get to the quarterback. You gotta hit Tom with rushing four to five and have the rest of the guys sitting back and playing defense. I've been preaching it for a very long time. But that's pretty much all I'm going to talk about for this game. So now we can kind of move into the AFC Championship. The AFC Championship, kind of, you know, on the other hand, was <laughs> it was a track meet. Uh, the Chiefs just kind of dominated from, I'm not going to say from the start, because the Bills did start off nine, like up nine, nothing. And the crazy thing about the Chiefs were they were just unfazed. Like they were unbothered by everything. Everything that the Bills threw their way, like they were down nine to nothing, the Chiefs were. And they just never looked phased. They never looked like they would lose the game. Like it's bananas to like think about the fact that you can be down nine nothing quickly in a do or die AFC Championship game with a chance to go in the Super Bowl, and you're just like, mm, yeah, we're good, <laughs> right? We're we're good. We're we're not really worried here. We're we're still the Chiefs. We have Patrick Mahomes. We have Tyreek Hill. We have Travis Kelsey. Yeah, we're we're good. And then the Chiefs went on to score. Let's see. I'm going to get the exact numbers here. Uh, 21, 21 and answered to go up 21 and nine. And right there, the game ended. Um, I, they ended up winning 38 to 24. They outscored the they outscored the the Bills uh, 20. I I can't. I, I'm sorry, guys. I can't even like it, the numbers are just laughable. They were up 21 to 12 at halftime. And then they ended up score outscoring them seventeen to twelve in the second quarter in the second half. And <laughs> I really, I don't. All right, let's say let, let's be honest here. Like being a hundred and ten percent honest, like being fully truthful. I thought the Packers and the I thought the Packers and the Chiefs would win. I predicted uh, Packers Bills. I really did not think Tom Brady had a single chance. I already kind of said that, but. It's still Tom Brady, right? So in the back of my mind, I was like, yeah, but the Packers are just a better team. Uh, if you remember correctly, at the beginning of the playoffs, I actually predicted that the Bucks would beat the Packers in Lambeau, but in the divisional round, and then lose to the Saints in the NFC Championship game. Except those just kind of got flipped. They beat the Saints in the divisional round, and then went on to beat the Packers in the NFC Championship game. So, yeah. <laughs> but I really, I really thought that the Packers, like the way that they played against the Rams and just dominated, I really thought they were going to handle business. Now, the Chiefs, on the other hand, let's be honest here. Chiefs are the best team in the NFL. Let's be honest here. They've been the best team in the NFL for probably three years now. Patrick Mahomes is dinged up, and I took that as an opportunity to mix mix an injury in with my extreme love for Josh Allen, and it clouded my judgment. It did. It clouded my judgment. I said the Bills were going to win. I said the Bills were going to win by 10 points. Boy, oh boy, was I wrong. Now, did I believe that? Probably not. But I just love Josh Allen that much. I love Josh Allen, and I don't care who knows it. And if you watch the TikTok, you probably think, I hate Josh Allen because that's what everybody on TikTok thinks. Uh, because of the little stupid thing that I did when I overthrew for Josh Allen as a joke to show off his arm strength. And now everybody thinks I hate Josh Allen. But no, he's awesome. I love him. He's the best. But I definitely let that cloud my judgment. I definitely... I, I, I really don't know. Like, I really don't understand 
why I picked the Bills. Like, I, I, I guess it was more like hoping, like, they can do it. They, they can do it. They can really do this. They can really do this. Like, I believe in them. And then it was just like, yeah, they can't do this. Like, and then they went up nine nothing, and it was like the muff punt. And I was like, everything's going their way. They can do this. And yep, just they couldn't do it. Dang, uh, kind of some of the stats. Patrick Mahomes was just Patrick Mahomes, uh, 325 yards and three touchdowns. And uh, looking at Tyreek Hill had a great game, nine catches, 172 yards. Uh, Travis Kelsey scored multiple touchdowns. It was just. It was just bad, but I, I did get the Dawson Knox uh, first touchdown score, uh, plus 2,300, and yeah, that's pretty much all that I could really say about this game. There's really not much more to say about this game. I'm having like major deja vu because I record this thing in segments. I feel like I already talked about this game, but I think it's because I did the YouTube video on it already. Um, but yeah. I'm having extreme deja vu right now, just kind of touching up on all the games so many times in between writing about them and doing videos and stuff and podcasts. That's pretty much it. Um, but Chiefs are the best team in the NFL. Chiefs are probably going to win Super Bowl. Then again, I'm betting it's Tom Brady. Not ideal, right? Not ideal. Um, but they just they just run out there and handle business. I'm excited to watch for the Super Bowl to see – how Mahomes and Brady's matchup. Uh, obviously, it's like the baby goat versus goat type thing. And I'm excited to see the types of blitzes that Todd Bowles and just kind of I, – I guess I got to see the type of blitzes that Spagnola, Spagnola and Todd Bowles can kind of come up with. I think they're going to be very exotic. I think it's going to be very interesting. I think it's going to be a battle between like the brains. Uh, obviously, first off, it's going to be like the battle of – Tom Brady versus Spagnola and Mahomes. Let's see how much you've really learned about the game in this time period. I'm again, it's like, there's like a cattle in here. I don't know if you can hear it. Uh, there's just a herd. I heard cattle in my room, in my apartment. That's like, I don't know, two square footage total. So yeah, it, it gets loud in here because me and me and the cattle, we, uh, we party. That's, that's what all the noise is today. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very excited for the Super Bowl. I'm very excited to just kind of experience the whole thing. Uh, the entire Super Bowl is obviously a lot of fun, not just for the game, which the game is always awesome, but then you have just kind of the awe leading up to it. Like It's like that, oh, it's Super Bowl week. It's Super Bowl week. Like, guys, I can't believe like, it's Super Bowl week. Like, it's almost here. Super Week's almost here. Like, it's here. It's here. We're a week away. Oh, we're two days away. Oh, my gosh, it's tomorrow. It's in five hours. Let's go. Like, let's get the chicken. Let's get the Popeyes. Let's get let's get the buckets of food. Let's get this ready. Let's get nachos. Let's get buffalo wings. Like, everything. Like, let's get it going. Let's get some pizza. And uh, game comes on. You're watching a great game. All of a sudden, commercial comes on. You got everybody yelling, shut up, so we can hear the commercials because the commercials are awesome. Then the halftime show is like the part where we take our break and it's during a halftime show and it's going to be with, I'm pretty sure the weekend, pretty sure the weekend's doing the halftime show this year. Like it's going to be great. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be a lot of fun. You get to watch the greatest quarterback of all time play against who I've said this for a while. I think Mahomes is probably going to be the goat when it's all said and done. We haven't seen anyone with his level of talent yet. And then you mash up with the fact that he's going to be, he's going to win. And, yeah, if he if him and Andy Reid stick together, they're gonna win, and they're gonna win a 
bunch. I can see them winning three out of these four in these first four year stretch. I can see them going. I can see Mahomes. It's it's crazy. Like I don't want to say like he's going to win eight Super Bowls or whatever. He's going to double up Tom. And I just like talked about how awesome Tom is compared to everybody else and how many, how successful he is compared to everyone else. And then in the same breath, I'm going to say, but Mahomes is going to do all that because it's it's hard. Like let's be honest here. Um, but because it, it, like I said, it has to do with team, has to do with coaches. Um, and Andy Reid's a little bit older. I don't know how much longer he's going to coach, um, but it kind of feels like he's going to coach until Mahomes retires, unless he has something to where, like, I always kind of envisioned Andy Reid as a type of guy who's going to literally coach until he just dies. I don't know why I've pictured him as that, but I just feel like that's, I feel like that accurately describes him. Um, now we can kind of get into some basketball talk. We'll probably save it home B for last just because the MLB has so many rumors. And I want to I wanna record whenever everything's set. Like, I'm going to wait till like, late Wednesday night to make sure. And if I still miss something, I don't know. I'll just cry. Um, I, I think I have some MLB projects coming out soon. So uh, you can kind of be on the lookout for that as a little teaser. Um, but let's get into some NBA talk. Uh, Shams had the report. Pelicans uh, have been getting calls about Lonzo. And calls about JJ Redick. Uh, yeah, no duh. Both on expiring contracts. Both don't really fit into the long term future here. And honestly, I would have made this trade yesterday. Like, it's it's time to move on from Lonzo. JJ can stick around longer, but Lonzo just doesn't fit in this team whatsoever. Lonzo's really just not that good of a basketball player right now, and. He can't really shoot. He's shooting like 28% from three, even though he attempted the most three-pointers this season on Pelicans. Can't really drive to the basket because he hates it. He's scared of it. And then most of the time, he'll turn the ball over instead of converting a layup or hitting a floater. And then you add in the fact that he hasn't been really that good on defense lately. There's just... It's just... Like... It's hard for like what like what what exactly do you do here, right? What value do you provide for me? Because right now I don't see any value. Right now you don't have any value to me. Um, and if a team is willing to give us a first round pick for, if a team is willing to give us something of value for him, then yeah, do it in a heartbeat. Um, JJ can stick around a little bit longer because he's just kind of helping our development. But I think it's important for Pelicans fans to remember this year's not about winning. It's about developing. It's about kind of growing together, our young core. Let them learn how to play the game of basketball, but also let them learn how to play the game of basketball together. Uh, How do their games impact their teammates' games? Like Lonzo, I mean, uh, not Lonzo, I'm sorry. Zion and Brandon Ingram need to learn how to play together, right? Uh, Jackson Hayes needs to learn from Steven Adams how to set a screen, how to box out, how to grab a rebound. Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Kira, and Kira Lewis Jr., they got to learn how to be – like Kira's got to learn how to be a point guard in the NBA. It comes with minutes. Nikhil Alexander-Walker needs to learn how to be a, a two-guard in the NBA. That comes with minutes. You know what? It's hard to get minutes whenever you're the fifth and sixth guards on the roster because the Pelicans are so guard-heavy. They have Lonzo and Bledsoe. They also have Josh Hart, JJ Redick, and then they have Nikhil Alexander Walker and Kira Lewis. And like David Griffin's talked about Brandon Ingram being the two. 
They really don't want to play Brandon Ingram at the three. So there's a lot of options for guard. Then you go on the flip side, and you see the Pelicans have Zion and Stephen Adams, and that's pretty much it for big men. You have Jackson Hayes, who at the beginning of the season, he was just unplayable. Um, he's been developing. He's been getting better. He's still not great. Uh, so if the Pelicans can trade Lonzo and J.J. Redick and get a big, a rotation big, a depth big, somebody that can play, I'm all for it. Send it away. If we can get a Larry Nance Jr., send it, like, now. Um, but also, like, if we can get picks for the future, just add to our chest already that's full and just overflowing with picks, add. Uh, maybe maybe David Griffin sees this as the time he wants to push all his chips to the table and go get the third guy for Zion and Brandon Ingram. And obviously this isn't as a, yo, we're one piece away, let's go win a championship, let's do it all in. This is more of a, hey, we're establishing our core, this is our core, let's go get the last piece of what we think the core can be. So like, let's say, let's go get Bradley Beal, and let's roll with a Bradley Beal, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Steven Adams lineup for the next three years and see what we can do. Maybe it's a, yo, let's go get, ready for this one? Let's go get Shea Gildress Alexander. What? What? No, I'm just, I don't really know if that's going to happen. But if you trade away, we have a big, like, we just have a cloggage. Like, there's just too much guards on this roster, not enough bigs. So that seems easy. Trade the guards to a team that needs guards while they are overflowing with bigs. A team like the Cavs come to mind, who have a lot of bigs. Hence, Larry Nance Jr., Maybe a team like the Bulls, right? Like, it's doing these type of things, and there's so many options for the Pelicans to go. A lot of people don't understand that. They're ready to press, like, the panic button, and they keep saying, like, oh, it's the same Pelicans, it's the same Pelicans, doesn't matter. Well, it's not the same Pelicans. We have a completely different roster. From the day Anthony Davis pressed the trade me button, we don't have a single player on the roster today that was on the roster that day. We have a different coach. We have a different front office. We have a different general manager. We have a different basketball ops. The only thing that is the same is the name of the team, the court, like the the actual thing that is painted on the court, and Coach Fred Benson. And then uh, ben, uh, literal Miss Benson, Mrs. Benson, the owner of the team. That is the only thing that is the same with the Pelicans team that, that the Pelicans were two years ago. This isn't the same old Pelicans. This isn't the same old uh, front office. This isn't the same old coach. This isn't the same old players. Now you say, yes, same old ownership. But guess what? This is a new ownership, really. The Bensons really haven't owned the Pelicans that long, and the Pelicans were more successful with them as the owners. If you remember correctly, Pelicans won a playoff round, sweeping the Blazers when the Blazers were the three seed a few years back. And... I'm going to talk about Anthony Davis in a minute because he says some stuff. But it's very important to remember these things. Um, it's very important to remember that it's very different. This this isn't this isn't what the Pelicans season is striving to be. They shouldn't be trying to they shouldn't be trying to win above all else. Like the season's about development, and this is why. Since we're not trying to win, or I mean, like the, you still want to win, but at the end of the day, it's not the main goal. That's why we should be looking to get Kira Lewis Jr. and Nikhil Alexander-Walker more minutes to develop them, to help them, 
to make them better players, give them more minutes so they can learn how to play at the NBA level. Now, back to that punk Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, you had a lot of nerve, bro, going on, talking about how you, uh, I'm, I'm sad. Going on talking about how it's not fun and you're losing and da 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 da. Bro, you requested a trade. Right. Okay. Dude. Within a few months of the Pelicans sweeping a team in the playoffs, you requested a trade and that you want it out. Within, dude, within a few months, you want it out. Alfred Payton exposed you on a radio channel and said that. It wasn't about winning. You wanted you you maybe you wanted out in the you just wanted to go play in L.A. or New York. That's what you wanted. Be honest. It's okay. No, dude, nobody's gonna get mad at you over that. If you want to say, look, I I just could I didn't feel like I could branch out here in New Orleans. Like I wanted to move on to a big thing. That's fine, bro. Say that. Be honest. There's no reason to lie. Also, this whole oh New Orleans didn't know how to market me. What's going on with Zion right now? Y'all were both number one picks. Zion's a superstar. Zion's getting every ESPN game ever. Zion has every single endorsement ever. You know why? Because he's marketable. You aren't. You still aren't. You're still not involved in all the LA stuff and all the LA culture going on because you're not marketable, bro. You're not a leader. You can't lead a team. The only time the Pelicans were ever successful was when Drew Holiday was on this team, and he was the leader. You weren't in those playoff series. We remember them when we won because of Drew, Drew Holiday, not Anthony Davis. If you were this true number one superstar that everybody likes to pretend like you are now, that like you're in L.A., which I mean you are, you're a great player, but you can never drag a team. You couldn't do what LeBron does. LeBron drags terrible teams to the finals. You couldn't do that. You can do what Giannis does and have a great – like the Bucks a couple years back before Giannis was the MVP – their team wasn't great. Yeah, I saw them winning a ton of games. Seriously. You can't do these things that these number one players in the world can do. And it's just like you want to be treated like that. And you want to be so sensitive about everything. And what's, what people are saying about you. And like you're so sensitive about all of it. But you never did anything to prove that you were worthy of that, bro. Like, you still taking shots at New Orleans while we're just minding our own business? Like, what was the point of coming out and saying all of this? Oh, yeah, I hated it there. Losing suck. That was sucks. That, that was so unhappy. It made me so sad. Bro, what? Man up, bro. For real. Like, that's your takeaway from your time in New Orleans? Losing sucks and I'm sad? And I've got to be honest, I didn't even read the whole thing because I just read, like, the quotes. I really hope he wasn't talking about, like, mental health stuff or depression or stuff like that because now I'm going to feel really bad. But the headlines I read, so if you got a problem with what I'm saying because he talked about that stuff, I didn't know. ESPN put out bad stuff, bad quotes. But the ESPN quotes that I read talked about how he was so – he was he, they didn't use the word depressed. I'm, I'm going to go find the actual quotes now. But it was about how he just hated his time in New Orleans. How he hated his time in New Orleans, and he wanted out, and he just he he just didn't like it here. Let's see. This is what he said. 
Anthony Davis on how, on how unhappy he was in New Orleans. When you're losing, you don't realize you're not happy. You made a ton of money. You can do whatever you want, and you kind of go through these times where it's like, do I do I really want to play basketball? Am I really good enough? Dude, what? You demanded a trade. You demanded a trade before the start of the 2019 trading tra- uh, training camp, and that was just months after sweeping the Blazers in the first round of the playoffs. Maybe you were tired of being in New Orleans and losing and stuff, but the timing doesn't really make sense now, does it? Now, I'm done talking about you. Now, I'm going to talk about something that's funny. And what that is, is the Steph Curry news that came out. Andrew Bogut said on his uh, podcast, uh, shout out to them. (laughs) Yeah. He said, Steph Curry used to check his mentions at halftime if he had a bad half. And Steph would go on social media, read all like the haters that were like calling him out, and then he would just go out there and like drop thirty. So like every single game, at halftime, Steph Curry would go in, search his name on Twitter, read everything that was said about him, and then go on and like use it as fuel. Dude, that is so funny. I couldn't imagine like Steph Curry like uh, shooting like. One of it, well, I can imagine Steph Curry shooting one for 11, no matter what, but I can imagine him going shoot like one for seven out from the field, like one from three from deep. And uh, he go, he just goes back to the locker room, checks his phone, and he just sees like at Lagoded on Twitter uh, is like Steph Curry's trash. And he just, he's like, I'm going to show this guy and he's going to go put up 40. Like, it's so funny. Like, I, I, I guess I never expected Steph to be like that. He's very, He's very online and he's very like up in like the culture. And I think part of that's just being like the transcendent player that he was. Like he was the first like social media darling uh, during his rise to fame, like the Warriors, like rise. Like the Warriors blew up. He blew up everything like that because of Twitter. Because he would break somebody's ankles and hit a deep three from the logo and it would be up on Twitter within 10 seconds by the Warriors media team. And. They still do this to this day, and that's something why basketball is so marketable and baseball's not. Because baseball doesn't let you share highlights. And then stuff like basketball, anybody and everybody can share the highlights. And like, why did everyone start to like really why did basketball grow so much in such a short amount of time? Well, because of social media. Why did Steph Curry become so popular just overnight? Well, because he broke Chris Paul's ankles and made Chris Paul do the twister on the ground. And uh, everyone memed it up. Like, this stuff does matter. Like, regardless on if you're like, oh, that's silly, yada. Yeah, but Steph Curry's a name right now. You could, I'd be willing to bet almost anyone in the world, like, knows who Steph Curry is. Like, Steph Curry's among the names of, like, LeBron and, like, Tom Brady and, like, Michael Jordan. And you could argue that Steph Curry was like that in, like, 2016. Like, 2016, like, before he had, like, an illustrious career. Like, uh, I think 15 was the first year he won an MVP. But, like, he was just so big on social media because everyone in the world, like, everyone in America knew who Steph Curry was. It was like, oh, that's that guy out in Golden State who's hitting uh, three-pointers from the logo. Well, that's that guy who every single night's just putting up 10 to 15 highlights that every, I can't scroll my Twitter feed without seeing all of them because there's just so many of them, and everyone is just retweeting them. And it's 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 awesome. Uh, I kind of 
went from like a funny story about Steph Curry to kind of complaining about the MOB's inability to market itself. Um, but the MOB really loves to shoot himself in the foot. What they do is just so, so stupid. Between the Hall of Fame stuff that we're going to get to, between the between the entire DH, not wanting to have the DH, and, how, and having blackouts um, and to where you can't watch your team, and having the no sharing of video stuff. It's just like they're so money hungry and like it's taking away from the product on the field and they're not worried about the game. Like it doesn't feel like they care if the game survives or not. It's like they're just like I'm going to suck every single dollar out of this as long as I can. Okay, so we can do that as our segue to lead into MLB talk. Um, start off, we can start with JT Realmuto news. Uh, JT signed the highest AAV for a catcher in baseball history uh, at $23.1 million a year. Joe Mowers was the second largest at just $23 million, so that's very funny. Uh, JT's best catcher in baseball. He has like a 127 OPS plus last year. Uh, since becoming a f- full-time starter uh, in 2016, he leads the MLB in war. He leads like a decent bet. Um, and like since 2018, like the last three seasons, he has like a big lead in war for like the second, uh, like whoever's in second. And like JT's one of those rare catchers who's not only like a gem behind the plate, like he can just be a gold glove caliber catcher, which he is. He won a gold glove. Uh, he has the fastest pop time in the majors. He had the highest catch stealing rate, uh, like percentage in the majors in 2019. But then you also add in the fact that he just rakes at the plate. Like not that many catchers can hit the baseball. All of them can, I mean, not all of them, but a good bit of them can play defense. Then you have the people who just struggle at the plate, like people, and then some. A lot of people who can hit can't really field. Uh, he's in that elite tier with like Yasmani Grandal, and like that's kind of it. Um, at least off the top of my head, that's kind of it. And it's it's very it's very wild that the Phillies kind of made this move, considering that they could still finish like last place in the division i wouldn't be shocked they could finish anywhere between third and fifth right now in my eyes but they kind of had to make the move because they promised uh they promised bryce harper that yo like if you take less money from us like we will make sure we surround you with talent we're gonna use that extra money and surround you with talent so and then bryce harper all of last season was like sign him sign him resign him like we love him sign him sign him i want him here sign him and they really just kind of didn't have a choice but I tell you what, Bryce Harper, you're lucky because the Phillies tried really hard not to sign him, and the Phillies tried really hard to give away contracts and not have to pay anyone money this year. So you are extremely, extremely lucky that that the rest of the – like if the pandemic doesn't happen, I don't think JT Real Mito stays in Philadelphia. That's kind of just a fact. I really don't think that happens. The pandemic helped narrow, uh, thin out his market, and I think because of that, the Phillies were able to offer them, him the most money. I kind of had a fantasy of the Red Sox signing him, trading Vasquez for a pitcher, and yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving on to like, the other big free agency news. Uh, Marcus Simeon signed with the Blue Jays, uh, one year, $18 million. Marcus Simeon's a funny guy. He finished, I think, third for the AL MVP in 2019. Put up like 7.6 war. I'm looking at it now. Had a 138 uh, weighted runs created plus. And this that was kind of just an outlier year, for being honest. 
Uh, it was the only year in his career that he put up a weighted runs created plus of over 100, so which means he's a below average. Because uh, in case you don't know how it works, 100 is average, and then every number higher or lower is percentage better than the rest of the league you are. And Simeons was awesome in 19. And then he played every single game, like all 162. Um, looking at it now, he put up 92 RBI, 33 bombs, uh, had a pretty decent walk rate. He had a high uh, isolated power at 237. And he wasn't really the luckiest person. He had a low BABIP. But, um, yeah, he still had a still had a hell of a year. And I guess Toronto, I don't know where they're really going to play him. You have Bichette, you have Biggio, and you have Vladdy. Vladdy's probably moving to first. I, I guess you put Simeon at third, but, I mean, Bichette's playing short. That's just a fact. And, I mean, or Biggio maybe moves to third, and you put him at second, Simeon at second. But I don't know. Uh, I feel like it might be a little bit of an overpay here because in his career, he only has – man, like Simeon – before 19, he had 3.9 war in 2018. And before that, he never had a season over two. I'm looking at F4, by the way, because it's superior. But it's 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 very dis it's very discouraging. Uh it really feels like 19 was an outlier. And I don't think you're paying $18 million for a shortstop that's gonna give you two to three wins above replacement. Seems like an overpay. I'll see how it works. This also doesn't feel like the type of move that you do now for the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays two or three years from now, yeah, this is the type of move you make. But this feels like a win-now move, and the Blue Jays really aren't in position for that. But I was also on this podcast last week saying that the Blue Jays could mess around and make the playoffs. So I'm hoping this kind of pushes them over the top because I love Bichette, love Vladdy, love Nate Pearson, big-time Nate Pearson kind of guy. I could, I could do without a couple of the others. But um, even as a Red Sox fan, uh, this Blue Jays team is going to be extremely exciting. And now we can kind of maybe see them a year early, kind of like the Atlanta Braves in uh, 2017 or 2018. But now we can kind of transition into the rant of the Hall of Fame that I have coming up. I just want to start this off by saying that the Baseball Hall of Fame might be the most flawed Hall of Fame system, just like ever i don't know how they all work i know some work i know that baseball is the only one that you're not voting yes or no i know baseball is the only one where you have to play the politics of which lighter writers liked you and which ones didn't i know that baseball is the only one that people will submit fake ba- uh blank ballots for clout i know baseball is the only one that will not elect players into the hall of fame for using steroids when it was legal at the time they weren't testing to use steroids but then they will simultaneously put in the commissioner that allowed all of it to happen into the hall of fame in 2017 but say for the record he he did they all belong in the hall of fame they saved baseball steroids saved baseball after the strike steroids saved it the home run race between sosa mcguire it saved baseball but then we're going to punish them say, hey, guys, thank you for saving our great game. Now, shoot, you are the scarlet letter. We do not love you. What is that? And you know what? You know what's really just frustrating? The amount of clout-chasing writers who 
will put out a blank ballot for whatever reason. For the record, you cannot tell me that there's not a single person on that ballot that you don't think is deserving of the Hall of Fame. Because I think there's about 10 people, like no question, deserving of the Hall of Fame on this ballot. And if you're not doing steroid, guys, and if you're not voting for Sherling because of your own personal beliefs, we'll get to them in a second. That still leaves seven people. The fact that Andrew Jones isn't in the Hall of Fame yet is a disgrace. He was the best center fielder of all time defensively. And he's hit almost 450 home runs. He was just an all-around really good player. Just nothing. Scott Rowland has one of the best stats in just the history of like all third basemen. You know, nothing. I get the Manny Ramirez. I get him not getting love. I get Sheffield not getting love. I mean, Bobby Abreu. That dude could play. I mean, what about uh, Wagner? Wagner might be the second best closer of all time after um, Mariano Rivera. Like, I'm, I'm about to pull up the exact ballot right now just to make sure I'm not accidentally forgetting anybody off the top of my head. But it is just bananas how some of these writers can act. And then they act like heroes whenever they do it. The Tom Verducci video of him. This, guys, the Tom Verducci video of him acting like a hero, like he was a firefighter during 9-11 that was on the front line of storming the buildings to save people whenever he said he wasn't voting for bonds. Bro, you look like a loser. You look like a flat-out, straight-up loser. Also, people that vote for Barry Bonds and not Roger Clemens, or vice versa, Clemens but not Bonds, you don't make any sense. Either you're against steroids or you're not. This year, only one person didn't vote for Clemens that did vote for Bonds, or they're separated by one vote. We don't know how many. He said it was because of personal issues they had with Clemens. You know what? Fine, whatever. Uh, it was apparently there was domestic violence stuff that came out with Clemens. I didn't see anything about it, but someone on Twitter uh, said something. So I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know. But that was the rumor of what the, what, the reason why the guy said it. Then you have Andrew Jones sitting at 33.9%. What? Todd Helton's still at uh, four. It hasn't even hit 50% yet. Todd Helton's a no-doubter. But then you have people like Omar Vizquel. Omar Vizquel has a higher percentage than Wagner and Helton and Sheffield, Jones, Manny Ramirez. I mean, Sammy Sosa, dude. These are names that he's above. Bobby Bray, I don't think he'll ever even sift the Hall of Fame because of this. And he is second year in ballets at 8.7%. But I'm so happy that Barry Zito got his one vote. Like, I'm so happy. I'm so. I, it's just, it's so. It's the, the entire process is so stupid. The entire, I only get 10 votes, so I need to make them count. And, oh, well, I'm not going to vote for this guy because I think he's going to get it anyway, so I'm going to use my vote for this guy because I want to keep him on the ballot. Make sure he stays on the ballot. No, it should just be yes or no. You sit down, you say, is this guy a Hall of Famer? Yes or no? Here are the stats. Here are the reasons why he should be. Decide, yes or no. That's all it should be. There should be no having to choose between certain players and certain teams and saying, like, well, well I got to pick him, but not him. I got to be careful with him. Da, 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 da. Now we move into the fact that Kurt Schilling is still not in the Hall of Fame. Sorry, guys. The cattle is back at it again. I get it. I get it. Kurt Schilling offends a lot of people. 
I get it. Like, I, I do. I get it. But that man, you cannot tell me that that guy, based on the performance on the field, is not a Hall of Fame player. You, you just can't tell me that. You're talking about a guy who averaged over 230 innings a year who would sit at a sub-3-5 ERA during the middle of the steroid era. During he played an era with the greatest players, like this is the steroid era might have been the most talented uh, time period in MLB history, when over half the league was projected to be on steroids, and this guy who was clean, wasn't on steroids, put up eighty career WAR. That's just that's just nuts. That's just crazy. He sat with a three point two three FIP. I mean, he was dominant. His whip was right around one for his career. His ERA plus for his career was a 127. I mean, he struck out. His strikeout numbers weren't crazy, about eight and a half, nine. Not crazy. Just very good. And then you add in the fact that he's one of the best postseason pitchers of all time. I'm going to pull up his postseason stats now. Pretty sure he went 11 and 2 in postseason in his career. He went 11 and 2 in the postseason with a 2.23 ERA. Started 19 games through four complete games. <laughs> it's nuts. He threw 133 innings in 19 games. He struck out 120 people in those 133 innings. So almost about 10 K per nine ish. You know, probably, uh, let's see, yep, yeah, eight. So about along with his career average, but he wasn't necessarily, he had a sub one whip. Like this is this type of stuff that he was just dominant. He won three world series. He was a world series MVP for one of them. And let's be honest here, 2004 without Kurt Schilling, the Red Sox don't win the world series. The bloody sock game in the ALCS was so important. If he doesn't pitch a game, they don't make it even, they don't even make it to the world series. Then in, 2007, he had one start, went five and a third, one run. That's all he had to do because the Red Sox swept that series. And, yep, that's just the legend of Kurt Schilling's. Kurt Schilling, he had a great career, very much deserving of the Hall of Fame. He put up 80 career war. And in case you don't understand war, I'll try and break down a little bit. Um, It's above the replacement level player for that year. So... The better the overall talent level in the in a in like the okay, so the better the talent level is for that season, for that time period, the harder it is to accumulate more war because it's above replacement. So a replacement level player now, theoretically, like in twenty twenty one, would be a lot better than a than a theoretical replacement player in like eighteen ninety two, because like. I could probably be a replacement level player at that time. So obviously, if you put Barry Bonds, the greatest player of all time, in an era where the replacement level player is like me, then yeah, he'll have just so much war. But then if you put Barry Bonds in a time when you know a replacement level player is blank, like whoever you would consider a replacement level player during this time, that player is leaps and bounds 10,000 times better than me, so it would be a lot harder to accumulate it. And you're talking about Kurt Schilling, who 
competed in the same era with Randy Johnson and Pedro Martinez and Greg Maddox and John Smoltz and, 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 et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm pretty sure Kurt Schillings is like top 10 all time in pitcher war. I'm about to look that up now. Um, but I'm pretty sure I saw that somewhere. But the Kurt Schilling, the man, you can say whatever you want about him. You can believe whatever you want about him. That's your own personal beliefs. Not gonna offend me, whatever, however you feel about him. But Kurt Schilling, the the player, belongs in Hall of Fame. Kurt Schilling is in the top twenty three all time in career F war. So, which means he'd be you know in the, arguably the top you know twenty ish uh, pitchers of all time. I personally believe if you rank top twenty pitchers of all time, you belong in Hall of Fame. That's just me though. Could be off. I I could always. I can always be off. I mean, he's accumulated more war in his career than Justin Verlander, and people look at Justin Verlander as a first ballot no-doubter. He's put up more than Clayton Kershaw and Zach Greinke by, like, a good bit. He has eight more than Verlander. He has 13 more than Greinke and Kershaw. Now, Kershaw has a lot of time to catch up. Theoretically, he's only 32. Greinke's 36. He doesn't have that much time. And... I just I don't understand how they can continue to keep this guy out. I mean, he'll get in one day. He'll get in with the Veterans Committee, I think. But the fact that we have people who never played the game deciding who's in the Hall of Fame, it's just – it seems foolish. It seems dumb that we're still doing this out-of-date process for, like, tradition. And if I busted my tail for years, 20, 30 years – to finally earn the right to get a Hall of Fame ballot and be able to fill it out and finally get the right to be able to vote for, you know, whatever award they allow me to vote for that year, if it's uh, NL, MVP. I would take that so serious. And yet some of these guys don't. Some of these guys rather go clout chase on Twitter and say, hey, guys, look at me. I didn't vote for anybody. Or the stupid people like, Two years ago, when Kevin Pillar got a top 10 MVP vote from a San Francisco writer. It's just laziness, dude. It's like, a, oh, well, I like this guy. Like, it's just, it's stupid. There's so many baseball fans out there that would die to have that opportunity. Yet we give it to these clowns. I would be so okay with the Hall of Fame voting being the people currently in the Hall of Fame. Now, Logistically, probably not the best idea, but like, let's, here's an idea. Let's have the peers, let's have everyone's peers vote. Let's have the former players vote. And they say like, yeah, that guy, I play with that guy. That guy's a Hall of Fame player. And I found a stat that was pretty funny. Chipper Jones was the first ballot Hall of Famer. In the 12 seasons that Andrew Jones and Chipper played together, Andrew Jones had a higher war than him in seven out of those 12 seasons. That's just a little food for thought. The guy who was a first ballot Hall of Famer, while Andrew Jones is just chipping and clawing, trying to just barely get in, looking to get pretty much anything that he can possibly just grab, but is 33% in his fourth year. He put up, you know, 63 war. Uh, he averaged, let's see, 
finished his career with a 111 OPS plus while being the best defensive center fielder in baseball history. And he was like the definition of a five tool player. He could run, he could hit, he could hit with power, he could field, he had a cannon of an arm. It's just silly that this guy, this guy's just been ignored so much. Um, he's just, he's a player that deserves it. He's a player that deserves to be in. Uh, and also Manny Ramirez, if you're going to vote for Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, you have to vote for Manny. Simple as that. And I, I get it. Like, I get it. Barry Bonds and Clemens, they were, it was, it's different. Bonds was also an awesome fielder. He played all five aspects of the game. Clemens might be the most dominant pitcher of all time. You know, Barry Bonds won seven MVPs, but Manny Ramirez might be the best hitter like this game has ever seen. He had a 154 OPS plus in his career. In his career. But he's not going to get his votes because, you know, steroids. <laughs> yeah. Uh, looking at Roger Clemens has seven Cy Young Awards and an MVP. And we're keeping this guy out of the Hall of Fame because of potential steroid usage. In an era where over half the players took steroids, meaning whenever he would pitch to people, they were juicing too. Most of the time, more of the people he faced were on steroids than weren't. And we're worried about we're worried about what exactly? We're worried that he was dominant against those steroid players, the people that were cheating. Like, I'm going to leave this. I'm going to end it now. I'm going to end it on this. Um, Roger Clemens in his age 42 season had a 1.87 ERA and 32 games started in 211 innings while striking out 185 batters. His ERA plus was a 2.26 with a 2.87 whip. I mean, FIP. There's age 42 season in Houston. And guys, that's going to do it all for today. I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, please go uh, rate, subscribe on iTunes, leave a review. Uh, if you saw this podcast link anywhere on social media, go throw me a like, share, comment, whatever you're uh, And if you got to this point, let me know what you think of the Hall of Fame voting progress. Uh, you can go check me out on Twitter, my personal Twitter, if you want to talk about this, uh, at no underscore domain. If you want to follow us, the podcast on Twitter, you can go out at Couch Fanatic. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, everything like that at Couch Fanatic Sports. And lastly, uh, if you want to come check out the Twitch, that's probably the most fun I have. Just playing video games with buddies and stuff and, uh, you know, talking it up with chat. That would be at no underscore domain as well. But thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you all have a great day. Thursday, and I will see you guys next week. Love you guys.